Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Palmetto Guardian. Yes, we're switching it up today, and I am introing it. You know why? Because we're going to talk about me. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Baker. And I'm Specialist David Erskine. And it is November 1st. It is. And, you know, I usually don't use dates but uh, when, when we do these, but there's a reason I use the date, because I have 14 days. 14 days? What do you mean? Until I go on vacation. Oh. <laughs> yeah, just rub it in my face, why don't you? Uh, my annual Thanksgiving trip, uh, two weeks uh, in the woods. Yeah, it sounds like fun. I don't remember the last time I've been camping. We used to do camping all the time when I was little, and then we moved to South Carolina and just stopped which is weird because we probably have more woods here than you have in where charleston philadelphia no, pennsylvania pittsburgh oh that's right you're, you're, <laughs> a, you're a steelers fan yes oh I was, uh, I was watching a movie last night it took place in philadelphia that's why i was like oh oh you know for sure that i'm not from Phil. <laughs> we've had this discussion a million times and you know for a fact you're just trying to push my buttons <laughs> your buttons oh <laughs> Speaking of buttons, <laughs> there we go. Um, but no, I'm, I'm I'm ready. I know I'm ready for the break. This year has flown by so fast; like I cannot believe it's already November. So I won't be on a couple podcasts around that time frame. Well, I mean, unless we pre-record while you're gone. No, no, no. We're not no? going to do that. Oh, you're you're thrown in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You have vacationitis. <laughs> yeah, I have vacationitis. It's way too close. Um, but, you know, like I said, uh, and I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, um, you know, part of this vacation is not just point of vacation, but it's uh, it's remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandfather, he's he's one who obviously started taking my dad. And, and of course, he went uh, up until I was uh, about 10. I think he passed away right around when I was 10. Um, but oddly enough, my uh, my grandfather was actually in the Army Air Corps. Oh, okay. Back in the day, mm-hmm. um, which is for people who may not be tracking their history, that was what the Air Force kind of was. Mm-hmm. That's what broke off and became the Air Force at some point in time. Um, but uh, he was a carpenter. I guess the Army Air Corps needed carpenters. <laughs> I mean. They were flying wooden planes or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but. uh <laughs> Someone has to make those offices look pretty. Somebody has to. Yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> so he built a lot of stuff when I was coming up. I, he taught me a lot of things about uh, carpentry and, and fixing stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I showed him a few things. How you? Well, actually, I showed my dad how you can put sand in a lawnmower and it still work afterwards. Um, sand in a lawnmower? Why would you even test that? Well, you know, I saw him put stuff in the gas tank. And I didn't know for sure I didn't have gas, but I knew something needed to go in the tank. So <laughs> Sam was the closest thing I had. So we dumped a couple handfuls of sand in the gas tank. Oh my gosh! Did it still run? After my dad fixed it, yes, it did. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, my gosh! Used that ag- doesn't surprise me at all. Used to aggravate the mess out of my uh, my grandfather. Um, you know, old school man or whatnot. And uh, me and my cousin stayed with grandparents. Uh, when we were coming up, like, in after school, and they'd take us back and forth and stuff. And, um, you know, he'd take us out hunting and rabbit trapping and stuff like that, and we would break into a shop and steal all his nails because um, we <laughs> wanted to build stuff, too. 
Uh, and of course he'd get mad and he'd be like, I'm going in the house to get a pistol. I'm shooting you youngins and see kids nowadays think you got it bad, but he was serious. Um, <laughs> luckily my grandmother was there. It was like, you're not going to shoot the boys. And he's like, they need it, you know, but you couldn't just ask for nails. You had to just take them. No. Cause he'd say no. Oh, why'd he say no? If you're wanting to build because, stuff, that's better than getting in trouble. Well, Assumably what me and my cousin were building were going to get us in trouble. Oh, okay. Um, so that's why he said no. We, we took a bunch of junk out of the yard and built a tree house. And we put, I don't know, we'll say 300 nails in the trees um, just <laughs> oh to get gosh. it up there and secure. Listen, we didn't have the delicate intricacies of like putting <laughs> things together properly. So we brute forced everything. If it moved, it got another nail, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, he's like... It's going to kill the trees. And we're like, no, it's not. I've ridden by that house now, and all those trees that we nailed stuff in is now dead. <laughs> so he was right. He was right. It was a little bit slower than, you know, than we would perceived it, but obviously it does happen when you, you I mean, nailed. 30, 40 years later. Well, it didn't take quite that long, but yeah, <laughs> they all died. Um, but uh, That's funny. So what about the, the people that build tree houses and stuff like if as long as the there's stuff there, they still live, or do they eventually just die? Well, no. I mean, I think I think a lot of them they don't really use. Uh, I don't think the ones I've seen like on TV and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. think they use like nails and stuff oh. in the tree houses. They use like suspension stuff and cables and things like that. And, and that still doesn't affect the tree, though. I'm sure the tree grows into it at some point in time. It takes a very long time. Mm. Uh, we were we were just much more. Uh, frontal assault style with our our things um i mean we, we were we were uh we were rambunctious youngins mm-hmm. you know bb gun wars and um we we fought me and my cousin yeah like sounds like my brother pro fought all the time pro level fights yeah yeah you know it was rough it was rough it was hard it was i know rough. it's crazy how like growing up even for me growing up like today it's all technology and kids don't want to get out and play like we would go out and play capture the flag and we would build forts in the woods and we would stay out all day hanging out with our friends and now it's just it's not the same it's different yeah i think that's why you're starting to hear some of those commercials and stuff now about the forest and stuff i know they keep every time i leave work on the radio they come on and they're so cheesy but at the same time i'm like i mean yeah it makes sense i mean we did the same things right um (laughs) We were just much more experimental in our, our lifetime, our yeah. younger lifetime. Um, but anyway, back to the main point of that was that my grandfather was in, I detoured off of it a little bit, but my grandfather, like I said, was in uh, our Army Air mm-hmm. or whatnot at point, one point in time in his life. Um, and then, of course, I wound up, like I said, I wound up going Air Force. My cousin, the one that I striped across his back, he was he was Air Force. Um <laughs> And I think, obviously, whenever you think flying and, and things of that nature, you kind of default to Air Force. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong about it. If you say flying, most people are going to think F-16s and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff that the Air Force has available to them. But, like we said to begin with, that was the Army Air Corps. Mm-hmm. Like, the Army had aviation assets, and we still do. Um, rotary wing stuff, the, the helicopters, mm-hmm. um, which... We have a huge presence. Yes, at, especially for the size of our state. In have. South Carolina. Um, yeah. We have so many different frames. And frames for people who uh, aren't aviation inclined. I, that's the terminology they use when they're talking about all the different aircrafts, mm-hmm. the airframes that they have. But we got Chinooks. Mm-hmm. 
Lakotas. Lakotas. Blackhawks. Blackhawks. Apache <laughs> units. We got a couple of those. We got some in the in the Midlands area here. We got a place up in the upper state that mm-hmm. houses all those. And our, our aviation community is extremely busy. Yes. Extremely. It's not just a drill, but I mean, they're out there for disc commissions. They're out there training. Yeah. Or all different kinds of stuff. They're not sitting out there like museum pieces. We putting some miles on these things. <laughs> of course, I know they don't put miles. Please don't. <laughs> Aviation people are to put miles hours. Got it. I know. Um, but that was just the expression at the time. Um, <laughs> but I've I've been all over the place with the, a lot of our aviation folks. Yeah. Um, it's cool to get to fly with them, especially on the guard side, because I feel like active duty might have a little bit more. Um, Leadway with getting to experience flying on one of those aircrafts or frames. But um, my first experience was I was still an MP, and we were going to, I think, Greenville to work with the local law enforcement there to uh, practice riot control, and they flew us up in the Chinooks. They took half of us in the Chinooks up there, Everybody else rode a bus, and then on the way back, they flip-flopped the group. So that was pretty cool. That was the first time I think I've ever been on a helicopter. And then ever since then, now that I'm public affairs, I mean, I've had a lot more opportunities. So, (laughs) but it's still fun. Like, if anybody gets the opportunity, don't pass it up because it's a great experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of fun. Um, And like I said, those guys, they stay busy. I mean, multiple deployments, multiple disc estate side missions. Mm-hmm. They're constantly training. They're constantly in support. Other units are calling us, hey, can we borrow your assets? Um, th- these things don't sit around and collect dust. No, not at all. Um, um, with that being said, we actually have somebody from the aviation community that's coming in to speak with us today um, uh, from the recruiting standpoint, yeah? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah recruiting standpoint. Um so they're going to tell you, you know, if you've ever uh, thought about flying, um, maybe you're already in, you want to fly, maybe you're not in, you want to fly, maybe you're in a different branch unit, whatever, you want to fly. Um, should have information about how you can do that and uh, and be part of the outstanding, really outstanding uh, aviation community that we have here in the state of South Carolina. So today we have Mr. Brian Cox, the South Carolina National Guard aviation recruiter. So thank you for coming in today, sir. Yeah, happy to be here. So could you explain, I had no idea that we had an actual aviation recruiter. Could you explain exactly what that entails? Yeah, it's a new thing that that we started about a year ago. Um, Everyone knows that like the Army's hurting for pilots, right? And then, so what we wanted to do was get our brand out there because South Carolina has a huge aviation footprint. We have two flight facilities in Columbia and in Greenville. We have all the major airframes. So we have like Apaches and UH-60s, Chinooks, um, Lakotas, C-26s. We have it. And a lot of places don't even know that we have those assets. And not only that, we've got so many talented people in the state that could be pilots. So we wanted to get someone that could help them get there, to help get our, our brand out there and let them know, hey, South Carolina's doing aviation and we're doing it better than everybody else. And so... Well, at least in my opinion. We are. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. No, it's not. no, state pride is okay. Yeah, right. So, I've, I've know, done it more than a couple times. Really, in 2015, when we were saving people from rooftops, it was like aviation was everywhere, and we started blowing up. And, you know, so we just wanted to make sure that those people interested in serving their state, especially through aviation, had that conduit to get there. And so I'm that guy, you know, and I'm excited about it. You know, why, who wouldn't be excited about 
I don't know, fulfilling people's dreams to fly, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not a bad job. Yeah. It's so what exactly is the process to become a pilot? Is it, do you have to be prior service? Can you just come right into the guard and be put into a pilot position or how does that work? All right. So the reason why they got a W3 subject matter expert doing it is that it can get a little, a little gray along the way. And so I will interact with, I don't know, probably three different types of people trying to become a pilot. And uh, first off is a soldier that's already in the National Guard, an enlisted soldier or an officer, for that matter, um, that wants to be a pilot. And so the first thing they would do is call me. They would just call me up, um, and they would do what we call an initial interview. And essentially, I would just talk to you and make sure that you're actually qualified. Things like your vision. A lot of people think, you know, man, I wear glasses. I can't fly. Well, that's not true. You know, if I would ask you what's the standards for the aviation vision, you'd be like, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's 2050. <laughs> and so we would talk about that. I'd say, you know, hey, the vision's 2050. Have you ever had LASIK? And they'd be like, you know, I don't know. So that's the kind of conversations we'll have. We'll have that initial interview. And I'll let them know, you know, hey, if your vision's not worse than 2050, you can be a pilot. If it is worse, go get surgery. And 90 days later, we'll talk, you know, because we're really open to that kind of stuff now. We've moved ahead. Um, we'll talk about uh, other things like your physical fitness, you know. So let's say that you're not a PT stud, not a big deal. You know, we're looking for pilots here, not marathon runners. But if you can do 80% in each event of the three of the three-part APFT, at the moment we have not addressed ACFT yet. But if you can do 80% in each event, let's do it. And if not, then let's talk about how we can get you there. There are things you can be doing as you train, you know. So um, don't don't self-eliminate ever. And so we'll just talk about those apprehensions you might have, the commitments to it. You know, it's a six-year ad, so after you finish flight school, but, you know, flying an Apache, that time flies by pretty quickly, you know. So I've been doing this almost 10 years now, and it doesn't even feel like it, you know. So, so the first step is to call me, and we'll, we'll talk about those things. Um, once we get you on a track or a plan, as I call it, then you'll kind of go on with it, and then I'll follow up with you, and I'll help you along the way, whatever you need. So that's for soldiers that are in the National Guard already. Um, another type of person I'll run into is someone off the street. And so regulation dictates a high school to flight school program. And South Carolina does have one of those. We're one of the few states that offer the high school to flight school program. And uh, for that one, what we'll do is we will assess you to see if you are, can be what we would predict a successful aviator. Um, we'll get you a flight physical. We'll do the testing. Um, we'll also interview you with the brigade commander or senior aviators and get you that uh, letter of acceptance. And then we'll also put you in front of the, the Federal Recognition Board to see if they think you'd be a good officer. And at that point, you will know as a civilian, hey, I have done all the things that I can do, uh, or at least I've tried and, and reached out there so that, uh, to ensure that you can be successful. And uh, then we'll get you sent off to BCT. And then after that, you go to walk school. After that, it's on you. Don't get hurt. <laughs> you know, so high school to flight school program, we'll talk. We'll get you on a path for that, too. And then the last type of person I interact with is an active duty soldier that's already flying. And so if I have an active duty pilot who's looking to transition to stabilize his family in South Carolina, come down and, and take advantage of the mountains or the beach, you know, or looking for one of those great jobs with the businesses we have here, or even try to pursue a, their degree in some fashion for them or their family, uh, we'll talk about how we can help them transition and do that. And I work closely in the inter-service recruiting to make that happen. So I'm a conduit. It's all the great aviation assets that we have here. And it all starts with a phone call. You know, that's all it takes. Just call me up and we'll get you there. Um, now, do you want to take the opportunity to fill out your phone number? I do. I didn't know when it was going to be time. <laughs> no, go ahead. I mean, you yeah. brought it up. Well, so, while we're on the topic, go ahead and throw it out. and we, We'll go back to it at the end of the show if we need to. But. So I can be reached at 
7919. That's 803-239-7919. Call me anytime. They got a cell phone they gave me that's attached to me all the time, and and I'll answer it or reach back out to you. Text messages are great. Um, So anything, anybody. You you can also find us on the recruiting website. If you send a a, a request for information out there, it'll get sent to me, and uh, I can be reached that way as well. But phone call is the best. Now, um, you, you mentioned kind of BCT and stuff and then, mm-hmm. and then walk school and everything from that point. But a lot of times when people are looking at, especially current soldiers or even ones that are, are coming in, they look a lot of, well, how long is my training? Where is my training going to be? You know, mm-hmm. so how does that break down for, for aviation? Okay. Um, because there's different paths, I'll really just kind of focus on someone who's already in the National Guard that's looking, that's looking to be an aviator. And anyone who's not doesn't fit into that, just know that yours will be very similar to that. Because let's take, for example, walk school. It's five weeks at Fort Rucker. Okay, Five weeks at Fort Rucker uh, if you report uh, there for that training. But let's say you're already in the service and you want to continue your AGR job or you want to continue your technician job and you don't want to go to Fort Rucker right away for five weeks. So we have the RTI program, the Reserve Training Institute there, and they will do a uh, one week in a month and then two weeks in, uh, at, I think it's Arkansas or Alabama they'll do uh, for their, it's very similar to PMA, right? Everyone's familiar with the OCS program. It's very similar, but for walk school. So you can do either one of those, whatever fits you, fits you best. So five weeks at Fort Rucker, or you can do the six-month program with the RTI out at, at uh, McCready Training Center. Um, flight school. So after walk. You know, you may roll right into flight school. You may not. We may bring you back for a little while. It just depends on what slot we can get you. But you will PCS move to Fort Rucker, Alabama. And Fort Rucker is a a nice base because um, even though there's AIT there, most of the people at that facility are um, senior in rank. Okay, they're either senior NCOs training at the schools or they're pilots and warrant officers, other officers. Um, not knocking on any other bases, but you won't run into a whole lot of, of lower-ranking shenanigans that you have to deal with, like, you know, Stan 2 and all that kind of craziness. So I know Stan 2 is like a in-the-field thing, isn't it? Yeah, more so. You know what I'm saying? Right, it's like, right, right, right. So, but Fort Rucker is more of a professional environment, if right, you will. Yeah. And so you'll PCS move down there. You'll be there for a year and a half to two years doing flight training. And you get to do all the wonderful opportunities like Dunker, you guys ever heard of Dunker? I've heard, but don't know. Uh, so Dunker is one of those things. I, I'm going to call it a confidence builder. Okay. So, <laughs> so All right. Yeah, confidence builder. So it's an overwater training environment, and uh. then you're going to go get in a helicopter cockpit, and you're going to be put underwater to see if you can escape. You know, maybe you'll be blindfolded, maybe not. I don't know. So, you know, water skills are something that you might want to practice if you know you're going to Fort Rucker. But cool. uh, we have a, a high success rate, you know, and, and that training evolves going along. When I went, we were blindfolded, upside down, no shoes, of course, and then we would have to escape from the belt buckles and things like that in the cockpit. Nowadays, I don't know that it's as intense. I think maybe from what I'm hearing is it is a, a cockpit-type simulator but not a real cockpit and that there may not be uh, blindfolded submersion. So who knows? But as of right now, I think it's a little bit easier. Definite confident boost. Definite confident boost. <laughs> See, you had me on this thing until you mentioned, <laughs> until we the, mentioned water, the water stuff. Underwater and, escape. Yeah, and, uh, so uh, the, the, if it's in a pool, maybe I'd be fine. I'm it, not is, a big, it is in a pool. Okay, all right. It's well, I can pool. still do it. Yeah, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of... Uh, Open water? Open water oceans. <laughs> Last time I checked, I'm way down on the food chain once yep. I hit water. Absolutely. I got a decent fighting chance on land. I was <laughs> doing fine until I watched the movie. <laughs> 
right? No. Right, that's right. Now I'm done, though. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Meg didn't do me any good either. Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> you know, jars, Jaws scarred me at a young age, and so. There's, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, so Fort Rucker, year and a half, two years, and that mm-hmm. does that vary based on the airframe that you're training to fly on, or? It will. It will. Um, so the AH-64 takes the longest. I don't want to put a date on that because I, I can't, but let's just say the AH-64 takes the longest. Um, the UH-60 and CH-47, uh, those training classes take about the same amount of time. So if you're in Apache, if you're, if you're assigned or if you have the opportunity to fly the Apache, you'll be there the longest because um, you have to do some additional weapons training that you need to do and some additional night training that you'll need to do. So it does take the longest. Um, we cannot predict when, when you will be uh, going through each phase of the training. And so I had a young recruit recently ask me, kind of like, hey, what am I looking at? And I was like, you're going to live in what's called the bubble. And so when you get down there, you're going to live in what's called the bubble. And so you'll finish some training, for example. You'll finish walk school, and then you'll be waiting to go to Dunker. And you'll just be kind of, you know, you'll have a, a set class date. And uh, as it gets closer, someone might say, oh, we got an open slot. You're going to go a little sooner. So, okay, great. And then you'll go a little sooner. Same thing goes for SEER school. You'll be a SEER graduate when you come back from flight school, which is a, a nice little feather, really. It's a, real, a really big confidence booster that the SEER school is. But um, anyway, you'll do SEER school, and then you'll roll into your follow-on training as such. So we can't predict exactly when you'll start each phase of the training. There's so much training that occurs. But we do know you'll be there some, between 18 and 24 months. I mean, 18 months. Most of my guys and gals are taking about 18 months. Okay. So that, that yeah. Um, now, you mentioned, uh, dang it. I did it again. I had the question. The whole time he was talking, I had the question. As soon That's as why it, you got to take notes. As soon as, it became, along too, as soon as it became, oh, I, I know what I was going to go to. I, I, I was kind of curious. The question you get a lot as far as like, well, can I pick what airframe I want to fly? That was a nice answer. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, right. So we're on the same page. Yeah. I we both sp- have that question. I have a spiel. Okay. Everyone has spiels, right? And Here's your so, spiel. Mm-hmm. One of the, so when I deal with a cadet, say like at USC or Clemson or the Citadel, and, I, and they asked me what's the pros and cons of going National Guard to active duty. Well, you know, we'll talk about the family life and the things you can get from being in the Guard that all of us already know they're in the Guard. So besides that, we'll talk about aviation-specific. And so whenever you interview for the, for the pilot slot or flight training, uh, you'll meet the senior officers and such, and you'll express a great desire to fly a certain airframe. And you'll come in there as educated as possible, and you'll plead your case. And at that point, that leadership will say, you know what? You do know a lot about that airframe and the mission, and you do seem passionate about it, and I do have a slot for you. And they will assign you a paragraph and line number in a unit for that airframe. That's very unique. The active duty does not do that. And so Army willing, (laughs) Army willing, you will go through that program, and you will return to fly the airframe you were assigned. Very few times, and I'm saying maybe – very, very, we'll just go very few have I seen that not occur, and uh, usually there was some sort of other circumstance that made that not work out. And so when you go to flight school, you will know the airframe that you wanted. And there's a moment, there's a moment when you get that letter of acceptance, and if that airframe is just not what you wanted, if it really you would rather do something else other than fly that airframe, you're welcome to respectfully decline. No one's ever done that. <laughs> Because flying, flying for the National Guard in general is just such a rewarding thing. And so, you know, most of my candidates just, they really just, aviation is all they want to do. They're very passionate about it, regardless of the airframe. But we do have some people, some legacy. And my dad flew, you know, 
Blackhawks. I really want to fly Blackhawks. You know, or they, they grew up in that community. For example, I have a soldier who was um, a part of the South Carolina Helico- Helicopter Aquatics Rescue Team. Mm-hmm. Say that really fast. Yeah. Our <laughs> SC Heart Team. team and yeah. It's, yeah, so um, he's been doing that his entire career. And he's ready to transition and become a pilot. And he expressed to those senior officers, hey, you know, this is what I grew up doing. This is what I love to do. And they were like, we agree with you. You absolutely need to be in this airframe. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of thing. And he knows that now. As he goes forward, he will be continuing on, not only with his enlisted experience, but as a warrant officer, as a pilot, he's going to be doing that as well. That's pretty cool. That is something, I guess. Is. Now, you mentioned you mentioned S.E. Hart and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and, and I don't know any statistics or anything. This is just perception of, of events when I say this. But it seems like you have the opportunity with the Guard to do a lot more real-world flying, especially with, like, all the disc commissions mm-hmm. and stateside stuff that we do. And you mentioned SE Hart, and we do – I know the SE Hart folks do training all over the nation. Yes. Um, and, and help out and stuff. Is, am I incorrect in saying that, or am no. I wrong? If you need to correct me, correct No, me. no, not at all. <laughs> Don't ask me exact statistics <laughs> right, right. <laughs> off the cuff. However, no, you're not off on that. And so our lift community is, I mean, just watch the news. Just Google South Carolina Aviation. And then if you want me to hash it all out with the floods and the hurricanes and the fires and the rescues that we're doing for hikers, our lift community is knocking it out of the park. Not only that, our Lakotas, which not many people are familiar with, our Lakotas are also doing uh, um, the video. I have to be careful not to call it certain things. But our video, where the, the command is able to see that video during the search and rescue operations, uh, they're also doing hoist operations. Oh, my goodness. They are out there saving lives. I get excited just thinking about it. They are doing the thing. Okay? So our Apache community, in, in, so our Apache community stateside, we're working with Tier 1 operators routinely working with you know, Rangers, and we're working with 160th, and we're working with other entities with letters. We're helping them in their training environment, too, because they don't do standard training on the post all the time. Like, that's not what they do. They get out there amongst you. Some of you might remember, I think it was maybe 2016, that there was some training going on in Columbia, right? And it was out on the news and stuff like that. We were helping support that training. And so the Apache community is helping those organizations as well as they continue to progress in our, in our fight against terror. I've uh, I've been on I think I've been on every airframe that we have in South Carolina National Guard minus the Apache. I know everybody is like, how do we? How can we get on that? <laughs> but no, you say that I'd take the Lakota over everything, man. I think really? it rides like a Cadillac. It does. I mean, it's just I, I went from a trip from here up to Bragg on one, and it, it was like flying like commercial airliners. Just like ah, oh, this thing is so smooth. So, <laughs> I want to fly on one. I've never. I've been on everything, but it it's got the clamshell yeah. back yeah. on it. It's a pretty interesting little. I, I enjoyed the flight. So all of our, I call them the new guys and new gals. So all of our new folk that are going to flight school now will be ready on Lakota. They all get to fly it. Oh, that's, that's they awesome. sure do. And during some of our mountain training, so I did hats, um, and. I did hats in Colorado. It's mountain training that you do there, and I got to fly Lakota doing that as well. And so beautiful countryside up there, and that and that is an awesome airframe. We have those in Greenville. That's where they're stationed. Yeah, but man, it's it is a good airframe for yeah. sure. It's <laughs> a good one. Not like the Apache. <laughs> Best day. <laughs> Obviously, we're biased somewhere you know, here from definitely the not an Apache, but it's a, it's a very good airframe. Um, Best day in my military career, I would say by far. I think it was it was March of 2012, and we did this thing with incentive flights. It was approved. It was approved at all <laughs> levels. And so we had just finished closing out Iraq. Uh, we're sitting in Kuwait waiting to see what, what Iraq and Iraq, we were waiting to see what was going to happen in that, in that theater. And so we decided and got it approved, command did, so that our crew chiefs could do what's called incentive rides in an Apache. And so we took 
our enlisted soldiers that were really excelling, and we put them in the front seat of Apache with a senior aviator and took those guys out for a flight. Um, I got to, we, we changed roles that day, and so I got this wonderful photo, but I'm a, I'm a crew chief, and I got my crew chief in the front seat like a pilot, and they're doing the grinning ear to ear. I'm grinning ear to ear. Everybody decided I was skinny. Like, it was great. <laughs> It was, it was great. Those were the old days. Those were the old days. Oh, no, we need to figure you know? out how to bring that back. Yeah. Oh, man, it was um, really good. Now, something I want to talk about, maybe kind of a stigma. I think a lot of people, when they hear military aviation, they immediately default that it's it's an all-male community. Oh, no. um, I personally know two female aviators, uh, one that's actually should be coming back here shortly that I was friends with, and she was uh, enlisted here, worked in the R&R section and stuff. So, yeah, explain that. That's It's, it's open. Absolutely open. Um, I'm sitting here trying to think of the number right now. Three, four, I think we have four or more uh, Apache Apache female pilots right now. Uh, one of the first, um, um, well, I, I guess we're going that route, but, you know, we have uh, Apache pilot in commands, females, and so very open. Uh, of course we're open. So when I deployed to Afghanistan this last time, one of my commanding officers was a female, and she was also my co-pilot. And so we did lots of great American work in Afghanistan together <laughs> in an Apache. Yeah. You know, is that a reason like that? Was, yeah, You know, yeah. we did good work there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did what we you, were there to you do. You accomplished your mission. And let me tell you right now, and all of us in the military know this already, but just in case, when it comes time to do a job, I could care less. I can't see what's going on underneath that OD green or that helmet. All we're doing is putting rounds down range. And so if you're doing the job, you're doing the job. Okay. And so we've got several females that are knocking it out of the park, company commanders that are doing it, um, you know, like I said, uh, com- uh, commanding officers and such like that. So, yes, we have a, a strong female uh, presence and looking for more. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so for all, all ladies out there, don't, don't let it discourage you is basically if you have that stigma that, oh, this is a, oh, it's no. a boys club or it's nothing mm-hmm. but guys, come fly with us. Absolutely. Come do cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Just know it's, Apaches. Uh, come on now. <laughs> Lakotas. Uh, fan of the Lakota. I would be more of a fan of the Chinook, but I've just, I've been on it so much. I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome aircraft. I mean, it, it does it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just, I've, I've, I used it like for transportation back and forth to work for, it felt like a year because uh, they were doing so much training. It was like, show up to work, go get on the Chinook. I was like, y'all know I don't belong to aviation, right? I'm just public affairs. Um, but it was, it was awesome. It's still an awesome airframe. It was, uh, it can do a lot of stuff. People, really I think people underestimate the Chinook sometimes. So, and the Army doesn't. The Army knows. I mean, <laughs> they use the mess out of them. Yes, they do. That is a workhorse. <laughs> and uh, we have a wonderful unit in Greenville, South Carolina. And, uh, yeah, so we, the, the, the Chinook is a wonderful airframe, too. Still, still not an Apache. <laughs> We're back to this. I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm going to go through every one of them until we agree. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that, that's wild. Um, so... Uh, Obviously, something else that goes into whenever you're, you're talking about coming over to a new mm-hmm. career field, whether you're enlisted, headed, or somebody new coming in, um, is obviously kind of career progression and, and how all that works. And I think aviation's a little bit different beast because you can have chief warrant officers yes. and uh, officers, pilots. So if you don't mind. Absolutely. No, I don't <laughs> mind at all. And so as a junior officer, whether it be a warrant officer or as an uh, O-grade officer, if, if I may, um, you both will interact equally in a line company. And so your lieutenants will be your platoon leaders, and our senior lieutenants sometimes will become commanders, um, especially if they have that experience under the belt. But they will be junior officers together in the line company. Where those things start to separate is as that lieutenant becomes a captain and a senior captain and they move on to staff, um, that junior warrant officer will stay in the, in the line company. 
And so the way I describe it is the warrant officer will be your rock, your foundation of experience and technical expertise. He's not moving very, he or she is not moving very often. They're staying right there. Where your O-grade officers will be there with them for a period. They'll move on for some other leadership opportunities and their broadening assignments. They'll, they'll cycle back through the line company again as a flight commander, most likely. And then they'll move on and do something else. But that warrant officer, he's been there the whole time, <laughs> you know, the whole time. So I've been in a flight company now going on uh, about nine years. Nine years I've been in a flight company. And so as those officers come through, you know, uh, they have experience that I don't have, and I've got experience that I've been honing over years, and we've become a really good, cohesive unit as I advise that officer. And then he takes his leadership and, and focuses me, what I consider a sharp instrument. He focuses <laughs> me on whatever task he needs to get done or whatever mission we need to accomplish. Really unique setup that we have. And, and yeah, so uh, officers and warrant officers, whatever you're looking for, we can get you there. For my officers out there that are looking for a change, you know, we are recruiting you guys. Come on over. We'll make you one officer to to flight school right away. <laughs> there you go. There's your opportunity. Yeah. Um, I did it again. That's okay. Oh, so if, if it's cool, I want to talk about the active duty soldiers that might be trying to come over. Sure. Yeah. Let's, okay. Let's go so that way. it's very well known. There's no need to hide it. It's on the cover of Army Times. It's covered in the news. The active duty pilots are leaving in droves. And they're going to the airlines, are they not? I mean, everyone knows that. The airlines are hurting for pilots, too. And so there's a great opportunity in the aviation community to excel. That's what happens when there's vacancies. You excel. And so as those active duty pilots start to transition, just know that the, that the National Guard, South Carolina National Guard in particular, has all the major airframes. So if you've flown it, we got it. Right. And if you're looking to continue your military career, if you don't if you want to continue investing in your retirement after 12 or 13 years, this is a good place to do it. If you want to continue maintaining good health care for your family with TRICARE Reserve Select, this is a good place to do it. You know, we can continue helping you fly and helping your family get that stability they need. And we're working closely with the Rotor to Airline Group, if I'm allowed to, to name drop that. We'll work closely with them. We'll be at their conference in October down at Fort Rucker, Alabama. So we understand the changing environment of the aviation field, and we're very open to helping those active-duty pilots transition and, uh, and stabilize their family. We're offering incentives, which is a.k.a. money, right. to, help those, <laughs> to help those that yeah. need it, you know, and to really entice them over. Um, and we're hiring full-time positions as well for those MTPs and IPs um, looking looking for that same same stability. Huh. Yep. Now, is there um, as far as part of the requirements? Is there age cutoffs, and do they vary okay. based on whether you're coming from here or there? Or? So, if you're a pilot and you can fog a mirror, come on over. Gotcha. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, but if you're if you're looking to become an aviator, uh, we need to get you to flight school before your 33rd birthday. There are waivers available. Time's ticking, Baker. Time's ticking. <laughs> there are waivers available on a case-by-case basis, but uh, we need to get you to flight school before your 33rd birthday. Do not self-eliminate. Everybody self-eliminates. Don't do that. Just call me, talk to me, and we'll see what we can do for you. Gotcha. Yep. I'm going to self-eliminate. I, my clock ran I, out. Yeah, I, I got another yeah. clock and, and you know, used it again. <laughs> I, I talk to a lot of young soldiers. They're like, oh, but I don't have the GT score that I need. Then go retake it. I didn't have the GT score either. When I started, I, I wanted to get out of class in high school. I went to the cafeteria. I took the ASFAB. I made, I think my GT score was a 98. Okay, that's not good enough. But, you know, I re- went and retook the ASFAB and knocked it out of the park. And so we can hook you up to retake the ASFAB anytime. We do it at the Fort Jackson Education Center. Go out there, retake it, and I promise you're going to score better on, on the ASFAB this time. We'll get you that 110 GT. Same thing goes for the SIFT test, the selection uh, instrument for flight training. Same thing. we got to hook up at the Fort Jackson Education Center. We'll get you some study guides and have you take the test. And I, I promise if you study, you'll be just fine. It's an Army test. It's not that bad, you know. Yeah. It's an Army test. Gotcha. So 
for sure. Y'all looking for any drone pilots out there? I happen, drone to, know, I happen to know one. Oh. You know, what's crazy, <laughs> what's crazy is that, you know, the RTI does have the UAV uh, school out there. They work with the Raven. It doesn't interact with the airframe like the bigger airframes, like the Shadow or the um, Reaper and such. But uh, we are moving in that direction. I've been a part of some briefs, and we're looking. We're, we're really trying to integrate that. Matter of fact, the, um, the attack battalion is supposed to have uh, the larger uh, UAVs assigned to them. And uh, hopefully South Carolina National Guard gets so soon. We are working heavily to get that. That is a program that we're moving forward with. And we worked closely with them in country um, with our um, our um, – um, oh crap! I just lost it. Anyway, see, it happened to yeah. you too. Yeah, it's no. not just me in this. <laughs> right, I, I feel much better now. I don't know if you did that for confidence yeah. boost for me. But I appreciate it. Just for those guys, for my stands <laughs> pilot out there that's going to give me a check ride later. I was trying to talk about Mum T, man unman training or uh, teaming. Sorry, right. man unman teaming or air to air to ground um, uh, capability. So we are we are interacting with those drones in a wartime environment. We are trying to get that that asset here as well to continue that training it's happening it's just a matter of when yeah, yeah. to include the you know the future vertical lift where we're hoping to get the most modern apache soon can't put any dates out there right but we are hoping and we will be getting the uh, the most modern apache in the fleet here soon oh that's awesome i know she's a really awesome aircraft it's <laughs> a really good one I'm waiting the, for that the update Apa- to the, the Lakota. apache is awesome it is. <laughs> i'm waiting for the update to the lakota um uh, obviously, this is a house divided in here. It's worse than a USC Clemson football game. Oh, no, let's uh, not go down that route. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, so, obviously, y'all, y'all are a super close-knit community, mm-hmm. and, and y'all obviously work together hard, play together hard, get stuff done. Um, and, and y'all really have been a huge asset mm-hmm. all over the state multiple times, like I said, through the storms and stuff like that. Um what's your hook? If you're on the fence right now, if you're on the fence, you're like, yeah, I could do this. Maybe I don't. Maybe I want to get out. Maybe I want to stay in. Aviation's cool, but I don't know. You know, how do you take that person and say, you present to them, here, here, this is a good opportunity. Okay. So there's two ways to to really encourage someone to come on over to the aviation community. One is money for your family. Uh, My mother was a longtime supervisor with the Richland County Sheriff's Department. Um, Everyone knows that. And she would say sometimes, hey, you know, don't, don't turn down this promotion or, or, you know, don't do this, you know, because it's not right, you know, for you per se, but like do it for your family. Sometimes you need to bring in that little bit extra cash for your family or think about your family when you're making your decisions. And so when you said we work hard, we also get paid for that work. And so we have what's called additional flight training periods. And so uh, I want to throw out a, a, a tag here for my enlisted soldiers too. Um, for those that are thinking about being uh, helicopter repair or avionics and such, they're eligible for additional flight training periods as well because they have to support that flight training. Huh. And so that's an extra muta. And so when you come out to McIntyre or Greenville and you're there to support flight training or you are flying, you earn an additional muta, which is a retirement point, which is money in your pocket. So, you know, an aviator in, in general will earn more retirement points. They absolutely will earn more retirement points through the year than the standard M-Day soldier will, and they will get that additional pay. So that's one thing. As a pilot, you get aviation career incentive pay. Okay. And so like so for like right now, I'm an aviator with over with over six years, because I've been doing this for about ten years now. You know, I'm getting an additional uh six hundred and fifty dollars a month in my in my pocket just for being an aviator. So the ASIP helps. So the money helps. Do it for your family. The next part is the satisfaction in your job. You know, I've flown over pyramids in Iraq. I don't know if you knew they had pyramids. They had pyramids in Iraq. I've flown over pyramids in Iraq, right? <laughs> Just think about that for a minute. Okay. Um, you know, I have, I, 
the Buddhas weren't there at the time, but in the Bamiyan Pass, you know, where they were, where those giant Buddhas were, I've seen that. I've been there, you know. Um, I've worked with those Tier 1 operators. I have flown over the ocean, you know. I've, I've done those things. Um, I've, seen, I've seen, you know, the Grand Canyon. You know, I've flown all the way across America. I've flown from, from Fort Lewis, Washington, all the way to South Carolina, you know. And so to see America wow, at 1,000 right. feet, right, yeah, to cool. see that, I mean, you just can't. You can't put into words. I know I'm supposed to put in words. You just can't. <laughs> and, so, and so that satisfaction of what you're doing every day, and not to mention the smell of burning jet fuel is amazing. Yeah. Okay. All right. And if you've never been upside down in a helicopter, I promise you it's a life event. And so those things, I mean, come on over and, you know, if you're tired of driving a truck or something, I know you're doing good work, but if you want to do something different, spice it up, earn some more money for your family, we're taking them all day. Just call me. Just call me. So basically what you're saying is the coolest career field. In- it's absolutely cool. I think it's second best after yeah, public, public affairs. affairs. <laughs> That's what I was going for. Um, but we were going to, we were going to give him this opportunity, uh, okay. but uh, no, no, that's, they're awesome. It's, it's super fun. I mean, I've, I've appreciated any time I've been on on the airframes and stuff. And I, li- I like our pilots, you know. I mean, I know that's odd to oh, say. I'm but glad you like me. It's good. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I like our pilots. Because um, especially for somebody that's never been on a helicopter, because mm-hmm. I came Air Force. Um, and so I was oh. I was used to being on fixed wing stuff. And I came over and they were like, hey, we're putting on a Blackhawk. And I was like, no, 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 you're not. <laughs> no no i'm not getting on it not doing it doesn't have wings it's not you know it's not meant to fly <laughs> it's not meant to fly but uh the air crew and the, the, the um and the pilots and everybody were, were super awesome and you know they they took gary and joked with you and made yeah. it comfortable mm-hmm. and you know you wouldn't think that that's a big deal but when you have soldiers that never been on helicopters right. having People that have that kind of personality and interaction, they're not only technically good at their job, but they have a certain level of customer service. And it, I think that's odd to, to say something like that, but y'all do. Y- y- y'all have a certain level of customer service because you're dealing with people that don't fly all Absolutely. That, that helicopter pilot is a unique beast, right? And so you take a guy or gal, and they have to have hyper-responsibility. No matter what happens, you're responsible for that. That's a lot of stress, right? And then no matter what happens, if something goes wrong, you've got to be ready to react in an airframe that does not have wings. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, and so it takes a certain kind of personality. And this person is quick on their feet. You know, uh, they got confidence because they have to be confident in themselves and what they're doing. Uh, they usually have some sort of little bit of leadership in them of some sort because of that hyper responsibility. And, uh, you know, they love their job, too. And so, yeah, the helicopter pilot is a unique beast. And uh, we're just happy to be doing what we're doing. Well, that's a lot of good information. I mean, oh, yes. I'm too old and crippled, but I think if I was younger, I think you'd have sold me on getting out of public affairs and going flying something. Um, you would think some of my pilots are public affairs if you looked at Instagram. Oh, my God. They're, like, <laughs> they're proud of their job. Yeah. Most of the time that we let, well, that I've gone out and covered SC Hart or, like, mm-hmm. the air show and all that, they all have GoPros, and they're like, I'll yes. get you my footage. And, I mean, yeah. so, in a sense, it's nice to be able to have other people. They like, make our job easy. Yeah, they do, for sure. Yeah. But we would never break any regulations. No, no. Never. Mm-hmm. No, 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 we, we try to we keep everything up and up and on the street. Um, but yeah, just fun stuff. Um, so if anyone was ever interested in, in seeing what we got to offer, I do like the other day, Buford high school came up, we do tours. If you just want to see like you're on the fence, maybe a little bit, and you, if you haven't seen an aviation facility, you know, we have some wonderful facilities out there in the state, but if you haven't seen an aviation facility, you need to come check out and see what we're doing because there's <laughs> nobody does aviation like South Carolina for one. And then second, the National Guard, I mean, we really take pride in our aviation because we're saving lives every day. 
Uh, maybe not every day, okay? I'm being dramatic. But we are saving lives. We are yeah. preparing and training to do that. And so we take care of our facilities. Please come out and see it. Call me up. Schedule a tour. We can get you out there and show you what we got going on. And that goes for um, junior ROTC personnel. That goes for recruiters out there. I get reached uh, out to by recruiters sometimes saying, hey, can I bring up a, a group to see your facility? Absolutely. Schedule it. We'll get you set up. We'll do a tour, get a photo with an Apache, show you what the National Guard really has to offer. Because I have found that a lot of people just don't know what we got. We've got to get that product out there. you know, got to let them know that South Carolina is doing great things in their aviation community. Well, you're you're always welcome to use the podcast to, okay. to help with that at any point. I'll work on my jokes. I definitely need to. No, <laughs> no it's, so it's my a, stats. It's a rough room in here, you know. I mean, I do this on a regular basis, and I'm I'm struggling today. It seems like, um, right. but uh, yeah, I mean, anything you want to leave us with? Some more contact information, some how tos, yes. and stuff. Absolutely. So, again, my phone number is 803-239-7919. 803-239-7919. Okay, you can reach me anytime. Leave me a voicemail. Shoot me a text message. Um, if you go to the recruiting website, you can find me there. Um, if you just shoot up a flare, I might find that too. Just let me know. Like, I can be found if you're really interested. Uh, and I'd be happy to help anyone, talk to anyone about it. That's good. Well, we appreciate you stopping by today. You're always welcome back in the future. If you want to come back and talk more aviation, we can continue the debate over Lakota Apache, <laughs> see where we wind up with that. Um, but, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys so much. So I'm glad that Chief Cox was able to come in and talk to us about uh, the recruiting side of aviation and give us some more info on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, you know, if you, if you know somebody – who wants to be aviation, you want to be aviation, whatever. This is, this is a good, it's a good starting point of information. Share the podcast with them um, or give them the link, share it to them, whatever. Um, Because I mean, that's it. I mean, he kind of wrapped up like the process of, you know, what you got to kind of go through and what they look at. Um, Like I said, I I think you'd be hard pressed to find uh, a more experienced, uh, better, aviation group in the national guards that's right i threw down the gauntlet to the rest of the states i'm, I'm not ashamed I'm you not just like down. making sure everybody knows that south carolina is number one you child brought right <laughs> um i can't think of anything where we're losing to anybody else right now off the top of my head i know i feel like we've the last couple of weeks we've been talking to people about all these different programs and different uh jobs and just all these things that we do in the state. And it's crazy because a lot of times we're the starting point for it and we don't realize it. Like the engineer battalion or is brigade brigade that's being stood up. Like just all these different things. Somebody correct us if we're wrong. Yeah. I think it's brigade, but, and then like the cyber battalion. Yeah. Was that brigade? I can't even remember, but okay. Battalion. But like all these things over the past couple of years in the compass and just all this stuff. It's like, I feel like we're creating a first for a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, we're real good at jumping out there and getting stuff done. I think it's just because of the level of the execution of the, the, the airmen and the soldiers and then, of course, the uh, civilian staff and leadership leadership in, the, in and around the National Guard. Because a lot of our stuff doesn't just happen because of us. I mean, we have a lot. We're a lucky state. Yes. And I, I really do mean that uh, on a serious note uh, for folks who may have never lived in a different state or been in a military in a different state. Um, South Carolina has just an amazing amount of military support um, from the citizens mm-hmm. uh, and kind of all the way through even our, you know, our, our, our legislative branches and stuff like that. And uh, community partners, uh, our companies that we have that, you know, are here. 
Um, yep. That's not always been my experience outside of South Carolina and, and other cities and things like that. So, I mean, our success as a National Guard uh, is is definitely soldiers and airmen, but it's not just all of us. It really is a kind of a team fight, a team win mm-hmm. around here. Our, our citizens make it uh, easy for us to do our job. Uh, you know, the, the employers are usually more than helpful uh, with us also doing our job and accomplishing our mission. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it sounds hokey, but having a state that has pride in their, their, in their military or, or anything that people have pride in makes the job easier. It does. It makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we're just, we're super fortunate in that area. And it's probably one of the reasons that's helped our, our aviation community succeed at the level that it has. Um, I mean, there hasn't been a major disco event where, uh, of course, I know we're talking Chinooks, you know, Black versus, Hawks, yeah. you know, <clears throat> versus other airframes at that point in time <laughs> since we had that discussion. I was going to say, ago. we don't want to bring that up again. Uh, we'll continue that discussion <laughs> later what the better airframe is. Oh, um, but, uh, you know, I mean, they're involved. The, the Apaches have been deployed multiple times, Blackhawks mm-hmm. with the SC Hart teams uh, all over the nation. Train, I mean, you just, you can go down, just run a list. You know, I mean, if you really, you know, they're, they're elite, you know, I mean, they're elite, not, not to say that aviation is elite compared to cooks. Our, our aviation is just elite. They're good. Mm-hmm. They're good at their job. Um, they've continually to, to prove that time and time again. And so, yeah, I'm going back to my statement before. I, just, <laughs> I don't think another state can touch us. <laughs> There's Other states are that. watching this podcast. We're like, oh, that's it. We're starting our own podcast just so we can say the same thing. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do have a lot of a lot of pride in our our units and our our soldiers and airmen in the guard because they do. They just continually step up every chance, opportunity, um, anything that gets in their way, they adapt and overcome. So, you know, I, I thank you. I welcome. Congratulations, all the accolades that y'all deserve for the work that y'all do all the time. Yeah, definitely. They definitely, everybody, I think, as a whole, just needs to be recognized because I think that nine times out of ten, you're doing all this hard work and you're not really getting the recognition for it. And some people don't really care about that, but others, it helps them. It lets them know that they're doing the right thing and that they're doing their job and they're going above and beyond and they like to be recognized for it, even if it's just a pat on the back and saying, hey, I see what you're doing. You're doing a great job. That's it. That's it. So uh, keep in mind, we're still we're still hunting 500 subscribers. I saw that we got a, a few more the other day. Yeah, I think we're sitting at 350. So Ooh, 350, folks, 150 away. You know some friends. You know people somewhere. <laughs> Send them the link. Yes. Um, but on YouTube, make sure you're, you're liking, subscribing. Hit the notification button if you want to know. Uh, we're, we're putting out, you know, usually two of these a week right now, plus other content and stuff. If you're on iTunes, definitely hit the subscribe button. Um, don't know when, but we're also, we think we have a way to potentially get to Spotify and things mm-hmm. like that. So we're working on that. So we'll have more platforms. If you don't have an iPhone or do iTunes, you don't really watch YouTube. Uh, hopefully you can find out about it and, and catch us on one of the other platforms here before too much longer. Well, I'm Sergeant Chelsea Baker. And I'm Specialist David Erskine. And we'll catch you in the next episode.